You are listening to the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. That jump from college to the NFL since 2000. Urban Meyer lasted 13 games, two and 11. Uh, Matt Rule, he went from Baylor to Carolina. He's 10 and 19. Cliff Kingsbury from Texas Tech to the Cardinals, 23 and 20. And he seems to be on the uptick. Bill O'Brien went from Penn State to the Texans. He was four games over 500. Chip Kelly, Oregon to the Eagles. He was five games over 500. Doug Marone went from Syracuse to the Bills, two games under 500. Greg Schiano, Rutgers to the Buccaneers, 10 games under 500. Jim Harbaugh, Stanford to the Niners. He was 44-19-1. Bobby Petrino, he was... 3-10, and 10, another guy who lasted 13 games, went from Louisville to the Falcons. And uh, Nick Saban, LSU to the Dolphins. He was uh, two games under 500. Steve Spurrier, Florida to Washington, eight games under 500. Butch Davis, Miami to the Browns. He was 11 games under 500. We'll talk to Jimmy Johnson about that leap going from college to the NFL. He did it well, became a Hall of Famer. He'll join us coming up. We knew recent history wasn't on the Jags' side when they hired Urban Meyer because, as I just pointed out, a lot of these prolific college coaches don't have success in the NFL. And I'm sure Shad Khan thought Urban Meyer was going to be an exception. The team was plagued by controversy from the day he got there. Now you have the latest report that his former kicker got kicked in the leg, uh, Josh Lambeau. Josh Lambeau had this to say about the incident. I see... Urban come up to me out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> he comes up to me and he says, hey, dip, another word, uh, make your effing kicks. And then proceeds to kick me right in the leg, right in the hamstring. Um, also on the, on the leg, on the hip, that kept me out for 12 games last year. And I couldn't believe it happened. I looked up at him, I said, don't you ever kick me again. This uh, was uh, an interview, first Coast News in Jacksonville. And then Josh Lambeau was asked if he thought Urban was fit to coach the Jags. This is before he got fired. How fit do you feel Coach Urban Meyer is to lead the Jaguars organization? For me, I would say completely unfit. And that is my observation from what I saw day in and day out for a lot of months this year. The way that he treats the guys in the locker room, there's this pompous nature that he has that he can get away with anything. You know, I, I see myself as a Jaguar, and I, 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 I certainly don't see him that way. Urban's demise shows the difference between college and the NFL. You know, coaches have total autonomy where they not only run the team, but in a lot of cases, they run the whole town. Urban was used to doing what he wanted to do as long as he won games, and he won games every place he stopped. And maybe we would give him a little more leeway if his team was good. But they're 2-11. and 11. It was a bad fit from the beginning. As I said, when Urban Meyer got fired, or hired, I should say, uh, a source told me Ryan Day, the current Ohio State head coach, would have been a better hire than Urban Meyer because he would do better at developing Trevor Lawrence. Because we haven't thought about or talked about Trevor Lawrence. And there's a lack of development there with him. And in large part because they don't have the right person to be able to do that. Now, Daryl Bevel has been an offensive coordinator. He was with Russell Wilson. I want to be fair to him. But there is a lack of development with Trevor Lawrence right now. And I don't think too many people have talked about Trevor Lawrence. He's the number one overall pick. We you know, talk about Zach Wilson. 
Zach hasn't done anything with the Jets, but Trevor Lawrence has done very little in Jacksonville as well. Urban Meyer maybe steps back, maybe figures out how to rebuild his career. Maybe this is it. But there's a lot of different scenarios that can take place here. I think this job is a great job. And the reason is they have a lot of salary cap money. You have what could be a franchise quarterback, and you play in a division that you can win. I mean, you're, you're in a division where you don't have a great quarterback in that division. And if you're going to follow Urban Meyer, okay, people are going to give you a little bit more patience there. And I think it, this could be a great opportunity for a coach to come in, help develop Trevor Lawrence, take advantage of the salary cap, get some people in there. And, you know, you look at Ryan Tannehill is not a great quarterback. The Texans don't have a quarterback right now. And Carson Wentz is, we're not quite sure. Like, you can, you can compete in this division. And I think you can compete, compete quickly in this division. But, you know, this was, this was starting to be systemic. Where Urban, I mean, this is how Urban coaches. You know, he intimidates, he belittles his assistant coaches. You can get away with it when you're winning. You know, you win 10 games, 11 games. Florida, Ohio State. And he does win in college, and he's better suited for college. And we pointed that out, that when you come in and you have that, you have to work with players in the NFL. There's an adjustment period there. There's a personality adjustment period where you have to go, let me read the room here. Because you can't go in and go, hey, you guys, I'm great and you suck. And you're talking to your coaches that way. Well, who hired the coaches? You did. So how great are you that you hired coaches who aren't good? And then you belittle them. And in college, nobody's going to speak out of turn. There's no leaks at Florida. There's no leaks at Ohio State. Your local media is on your side. You get to the NFL, these coaches are probably going, can you believe this guy? Like, what's he done? Who are you? These players, these players are going, who? I don't care what you did at Ohio State or Florida. Welcome to the NFL, where every day you play Alabama. And then you're going to kick a player? They have a player's union. You can't kick him. I mean, you, you can't kick anybody. But in the NFL, I mean, these are grown-ass men. They're not going to put up with this. But this was the last straw because it felt like Shad Khan didn't want to let Urban Meyer in the building today. And I'm sure there'll be some settlement, some payout here. Urban will eventually have something to say at some point here. But, you know, he didn't handle this well. The enormity overwhelmed him, it felt like. He was in over his head. But it starts with when you think you're better than everybody else. You know what's great? When somebody tells you that you're better than everybody else. Not you telling everybody you're better than everybody else. And you walk in with that ego, and they'll show you the door. It just doesn't last long. And it certainly seemed to play out that way in Jacksonville, where it, it was a question of what he stepped down, quote-unquote, due to health reasons again. And I think that was the prevailing thought. And as far as who could step in there, you know, maybe they give uh, Byron Leftwich 
Now he's working with Tom Brady in Tampa. Maybe Eric Bieniemy gets an opportunity here. Brian Dable, who's done a great job with Josh Allen in Buffalo. But I'd love to know what the buyout's going to be, because that I'd have great, curi- uh, great curiosity with, what are they going to pay you? This program brought to you by the great folks at Panini, the Panini trading cards, hottest rookies, biggest superstars, all-time greats. Only place to collect them all, Panini trading cards, the official trading cards of the DP show. For instant classics, autograph cards, memorabilia cards, rare inserts, and more, start or continue your collection now at PaniniAmerica.net. Here's Trevor Lawrence on uh, what goes on in Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have some form of drama. I've learned that even just the NFL is just more drama in general than college, no matter where you're at. But you're right. I mean, there's been a lot. And, uh, yeah, to your point, I do think that has to change. And, you know, that's something that we need to work on for sure. So you can't always be in the headlines. You just got to go play football. And that's where we're trying to get. And I, I have no doubt we'll get there. Probably thinking I should have stayed in college. Although Clemson didn't have a good year this year. But, yeah. And then, you know, people immediately said, how about Dabo Sweeney? And I go, haven't we already had a marquee college coach, coach uh, the Jags? Let's not do that. Let's go opposite. Oh, you bring in Dabo, he can help develop Trevor Lawrence. Mm, Good luck with that. You don't think that uh, Urban connected with the players, you know, wait till Dabo comes to town. That's not a good idea. But maybe you get one of these offensive coordinators who gets the opportunity there but now you're ahead of everybody. Now you got a chance to, you know, the job search is open right now. And as crazy as it may sound, I would still, I'd still be interested in Ryan Day at Ohio State. He may not want to leave. Uh, you know, there's talk that he could be attached to the Chicago Bears job. But, you know, all indications are he'll eventually be a head coach in the NFL. You may not want to go back to the college ranks, but if you do... Ryan Day would be at the top of my list. Yeah, Paul. I saw a couple of reports of what the payout would be. It's not a buyout for Vermeyer, but what he's owed. Mm-hmm. It could be over $50 million as of right now on paper. Now, there are a couple of people like Florian and others have written that if they could fire him for cause and have more of an incident that caused his firing, then it would be easier to claw back the money or not pay him at all. Well, you have the incident. Yes. He kicked a kicker. That's interesting. Yeah. Lou Holtz lasted 13 games when he coached the Jets. Bobby Petrino, 13 games when he coached the Falcons. Urban Meyer, 13 games with the Jags. Stat of the day, stat of the day. Stat of the day, stat of the day. Here comes that what? Stat of the day. Poll question, McLovin. Okay, this is a Paul special, and it's a hard one to answer. Who coaches first, John Gruden or Urban Meyer? I'm going to say Urban Meyer. I'm going to say Urban. Because he can go back to being that personality in college that helped him become a Hall of Fame coach. And I don't know, you know, how big a university. Like, John's got to overcome other things of what were written in those emails, um, that might be a little bit tougher. I mean, Urban had baggage anyway. When he was doing the Fox pregame show, when people brought up USC, and I was told adamantly, he's not getting a job at USC. They can't hire him. And then I thought, okay, they gave him an offer he couldn't refuse in the NFL. 
Uh, John Gruden got an offer he couldn't refuse in the NFL. Because John could have stayed and done Monday night football for the next 10 years if he wanted to. Uh, Urban could have stayed in TV. But you know what? These guys are fixers. They always think that they're better. Hey, I can do this. I can, I can be better than the next guy. Hey, I, I won in college. I can win here. And it's not that easy. Yeah, ton. With the increased use of the transfer portal, is there concern that a college would hire Urban Meyer and some of these guys would be like, ugh, I'm out of here. I can do what I'm doing at another school that may be just as good as wherever Urban might get hired and not have to deal with that? Well, he's not going to get hired now. You know, unless somebody leaves a college job for an NFL job, then maybe. But I'm going to guess Urban's going to sit down for a little while, maybe survey the situation here, talk to his family, see if you know, he needs to do this, wants to do this, health reasons why. Yeah, but you in college, you do have the transfer portal, but you do want to be attached to a program that wins as well. I'm sure Nick Saban's really tough on his players. I'm probably pretty sure that Nick Saban runs with an iron fist. But he's also playing in a national championship game every year. And he's now churning out Heisman Trophy winners. You can be tough, but I think players want to see the end result of, okay, I'm going to follow you only so far. And then after a while, you're going, why am I following this guy? Like, I don't want to fall off a cliff, and that's what we're going to do. And I thought he was going to be fired after London. Uh, But, you know, he lasted 13 games. And, you know, they won a couple of games. That took a little bit of the pressure off what happened in the bar in Columbus, Ohio. But from the outset, look at the timeline. He just didn't get anything right. And it's not like you go, oh, you know, he's too old. He's 57. That's not old at all. I mean, he's, what, 10 years, maybe a little more younger than Nick Saban. He's like 13 years younger than Pete Carroll. 13 years younger than Saban. So, you know, he's got an opportunity to coach again, and somebody will give him a chance. It's just he learned, as a lot of these coaches learn, you get humbled in the NFL. Yeah, McLevin. I mean, he went through a lot even in Ohio State and still got the best recruits every year. He got, his last recruit was Justin Fields, I think, yeah. right before he left. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Jimmy Johnson joins us. Is that right, Jimmy? I, I was the first one, and Barry followed me and Pete after that. <laughs> um, the difference between coaching and college in the NFL today, as opposed to when you did it, is what? You know, Dan, uh, uh, not too awful long ago, uh, Terry Bradshaw asked me on the show, he said, what's the difference in college coaching and pro coaching you know, and, and, and coaching the game? I said, you know, Terry, there's not a world of difference. There's a galaxy of difference. (laughs) (laughs) If you really, you can't compare it. I mean, I could go on and on and on. If you're in one of the top 10 programs uh, in college football, uh, you know, the difference in the talent is so vast. Uh, 
you're going to win 10 games just by showing up. Uh, so a lot of times it, it's hard to evaluate a college coach going into pro football. The other thing is, you know, as opposed to grown men that are working for a living, you know, in college, you're a mentor, you're a father figure, you know, they're young kids that left home for the first time in their life. You know, they've got all kinds of problems, girlfriend problems, academic problems, you know, they're homesick. And so you end up spending half your time counseling them. Uh, in professional football, they're grown men working for a living. You know, they have a job. Uh, and how well you do uh, depends on how much money they're going to make. Uh, so, you know, they're a little bit more skeptical than a, a 18 year old kid. The length of the season on, like I said, I could go on and on and on. You know, the I remember when Steve Spurrier went to uh, the Redskins. Um, he said, okay, he looked at the practice fields and he said, well, this is the offensive practice field. He said, is that the defensive practice field down there? They said, Hey, you only got 53 players. We don't have, we don't have <laughs> enough players to have two, you know, two groups going. It's not like college where you've got a hundred players. Uh, but, but there's a world of difference between the two. Where did urban go wrong? Oh yeah. You know, I, I, I think the mishaps have been chronicled, uh, you know, quite a bit. And I, I don't want to pile on, uh, you know, a, a lot of things happened. Uh, number one, you know, you know, when I went to the Dallas Cowboys, I took the staff with me that I had at Oklahoma State. A lot of them had been with me at University of Pittsburgh. and But they were my Oklahoma State coaches. And they were my University of Miami coaches. They'd been with me for 10, 15 years. So, you know, there was never a chink in the harbor. You know, you know if uh, some disgruntled veteran might say, hey, we don't need to do it this way. Well, the entire staff would say, hey, wait a minute. We're going to do it the way Jimmy wants to do it. You know, So there was never any discussion about how we were going to do it. It was one voice. With Urban, you know, he had coaches from all over. Uh, and, you know, from reports, you know, there were, you know, some dysfunction, you know, with the coaching staff. Um, it's, you know, it's a difficult thing. You know, he took over – he took over a job that uh, was difficult, a team that hadn't won. But I did the same thing in Dallas. You know, people don't realize Tom Landry was one of the greatest coaches of all time, but he had had three straight losing seasons. And not, not only three straight losing seasons, they had the worst record in the NFL. So it wasn't a matter of coaching. It was talent. And, and that's the thing that I was able to do is, you know, I was able to jumpstart it with all those trades by, you know, bringing in more talent. Did you pick Troy? Yeah. Oh, please. I was in Troy's home when he was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I worked on Troy for about three years, and he was going to commit to Oklahoma State. Uh, and then his last weekend, he went and visited Oklahoma. And <laughs> wait, Switcher wait. told him he's going to throw the ball, and he stuck him in a wishbone. What do you think <laughs> happened that weekend, Jimmy, with Troy? Hey, you know, young college kids. It's <laughs> like my oldest son was going to go to Stanford. We were all set, and he went and visited Texas the last weekend. <laughs> Fred Akers called me and said, hey, Jimmy, says, you know, Brent just committed to Texas, and my wife says, Oh, no, he didn't. He's going to Stanford. <laughs> you know, those last weekends, those young kids, that sometimes they can be swayed. You have coaches who are successful in college, and as you said, for a lot of them, you win 10 games, just talent alone. But then you 
not that you get used to losing, but you have to be able to sort of accept it a little bit. Like you were, you were losing that first year. I know you don't oh. want to lose, but you can't let it eat you up, can you? Or did it? Uh, it, it, it almost, it, I mean, I, I remember after that 16th game, I walked out with my Brenda Bushnell, who did my TV show. I brought her in from Miami with me. I, in fact, I brought, you know, the, you know, the trainers, the administrative assistants, uh, the equipment people, you know, I brought all of them to Miami because Jerry fired everybody after we got there. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I told Brenda and she said, Hey, well, coach, I know that you're really down. You know, I was just, physically and mentally drained and she said but we can tape your tv show tomorrow morning at nine o'clock i said brenda get one of the assistants to do it i can't do it i said i'm gonna grab Rhonda, and we're going to the bahamas i, I gotta get out of here i mean it, it, it's it's difficult but now we made some moves now we traded away our only pro bowl player you know we we i traded away the starting quarterback steve pelure to kansas city uh, I released the leading receiver. So we made some moves that probably cost us two or three games. But I wasn't worried about that particular year. Uh, I wanted to make sure we built a team that could win in the future. And in the second year, had Troy not hurt his shoulder, we would have probably made the playoffs the second year. Uh, and so we were building for the future. But were you in jeopardy of getting fired or quitting? Oh, please. If, if we'd, I'd gotten fired, I'd made more money than what I did after five years because I had a 10-year contract. <laughs> I'd have had nine years of bonus money. <laughs> When's the last time you got a call to coach? Oh, you know, I, I had quite a few, you know, I, obviously after I left Dallas. And then I had quite a few after I left Fox. Uh, you know, I had to make a decision between Philadelphia and Tampa and Miami and you know I wanted to stay in South Florida. I wanted to stay home, so you know I took the Miami job, even though their cap was you know horrendous. We were five million over the cap when I took the job. Um, and, and then you know after I left the Dolphins, it, most of the calls then were to be general manager or consultant or one thing or another. And I even had one team, one team called and says, you know, come up and run our draft. And I said, what do you mean run your draft? She said, come up and run the draft and pick the players. I said, I can't do that. I said, you know, that's it, it take me three months to get you know up to speed as far as the players. And I said, I can't go up there and make the decisions. Your general manager and your head coach, they're not going to like that at all. You know? And I said, it won't work that way. Plus, you can't pay me enough money to you know be away from home for three months. So you uh, but, told Dan Snyder no that you wouldn't do it. <laughs> I, I'm not divulging the team. Oh, all right. He's uh, Jimmy Johnson, the Hall of Famer, joining us. Do Cowboy quarterbacks get too much credit or too much blame? Oh, I, I think the entire team and every player on that team gets too much credit and too much blame. Uh, there's so much visibility with the Dallas Cowboys uh, around the country, around the world. Um. Every every week, uh, they're either the greatest it's ever been, or they're the worst it's ever been. Um, yeah, there's a lot of opinions on every Dallas Cowboy, uh, and that's the way it is. And you just accept that. 
you know, when I left ESPN, I didn't want ESPN to be successful. Now, I left on my own, but I don't know if after what happened with Dallas that you sort of, when you leave, do you leave and go, I hope that they aren't successful? Yeah, no, you know, uh, there's a lot of people there that, that I really care about. Yeah. You know, you know I, I've got a big stake in, in the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and so I've got a legacy there that, you know, I want the Cowboys to win. You know, I, I pull for the Cowboys. You know, I, I brought in Rich Dalrymple, even though he, he only worked for me. I brought him to the University of Miami, and then I brought him, you know, to the Cowboys with me. You know, and so there's a lot of people that I really care about. I, I want them to win. Um, and, you know, and Jerry and I have a, a, a strange relationship. But I want Jerry to be successful. I, I want him to win. You know, he, he's the greatest businessman that's ever been. But I want him to win. You know, another Super Bowl. Has Jerry ever been on your boat? No, uh, I, I, uh, and I haven't been on his <laughs> his little boat either. <laughs> he, 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 I think his boat's a little bigger than yours, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <quite a> bit. <laughs> uh, you had this quote about Dak Prescott. And uh, you said he can win you a championship if you've got really good players around him. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things there. Um, you know, I think the Dak Prescott's number one attribute is he is a great leader, great leader for that team. And and you can say that about a lot of quarterbacks. Number one, any quarterback's got to have good players around him. You know, to win a championship, any player has to have good players around them. But there are certain quarterbacks that could win more with less. Um, Aaron Rodgers needs a few good players, but he doesn't need a whole team of good players. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Trent Dilfer, you know, wasn't as talented as Dak Prescott, but he won a Super Bowl because he had an unbelievable defense. Yeah. Oh, and so I think there's, it's everything's relative there. I, I think Dak Prescott is an outstanding quarterback, uh, but I do believe he, he needs you know a, an outstanding defense and some great players around him to win. And I you know right now he needs that running game to get going, so that he can take advantage of play action passes and get the ball to those great receivers. It was about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer, that you said on the Fox program that you take Justin Herbert over Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, I said that. In fact, I said that about two years ago, you know, when they were talking about the draft. I was on Colin's show, and this is a week before the draft, and, and they were talking Detroit was going to play, take a defensive back, which they ended up taking. I said, take a defensive back? I said, would you rather have a defensive back or a franchise quarterback? You tell me. Yeah, I said, Justin Herbert, take Justin Herbert. They said, well, you got Matthew Stafford. I said, I don't care if they – I said, I had Troy Aikman, and I took Steve Walsh. You know, quarterbacks are valuable. I ended up trading Steve Walsh for a one, two, and a three. I said, you know, let them have Matthew Stafford. Let them bring in Justin Herbert. Then they can make a decision. They can move one of them. But, you know, hey, a, a franchise quarterback is a heck of a lot more important than a defensive back. The other thing, Justin Herbert, he had everything that I was looking for. Yeah, And uh, he's not the most talented quarterback in the league right now. He's not the best quarterback in the league. But as far as a guy that's only – in his second or third year, you know, with his intelligence, with his ability, with his arm to build a football team, I still say I would take Justin Herbert. 
You know, I love what I see with him. I thought it was going to take a little longer to develop, but what he's doing has not happened before. Like you're throwing for over 30 touchdowns your first two seasons in the NFL. And then he's only going to just get better. Yeah. You know, as he gets more experience, he, he's going to get better. Um, but, uh, yeah, people criticize me for saying that uh, they're in the second week of the season. Yeah. Uh, but and at that time, Patrick Mahomes was struggling a little bit. You know, he he wanted to throw the ball down the field. And obviously, Patrick Mahomes is one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. Uh, but you know, you know, Mahomes has had a couple of injuries. You know, Herbert is a big, strong guy, and uh, you know, I, I, I liked what I saw. If you could take Justin Herbert or Troy Aikman. Well, yeah, I'm not real good at making those kind of comparisons. <laughs> not, not with my buddy Troy. <laughs> I think Troy's but, but okay you know with what? it. I, I tell you what, you know, Herbert reminds me a lot of Troy. Both of them very smart. Both of them work extremely hard. Both of them big and strong. Both of them got a strong arm. You know, and so hey, they're they're comparable. But I'm not going to choose. <laughs> so, so they're kind of like. Terry Bradshaw was when he played. Uh, now that's a different subject, <laughs> but but he is actually I recruit I I helped recruit Terry Bradshaw when he was a senior in high school. EJ Lewis and I sat in the stands at Woodlawn High School. That was my first job coaching at Louisiana Tech, and I watched Terry play his senior year, and he ended up going to Louisiana Tech. But he was everybody's number one big, strong quarterback who could throw it all over the field. How did he end up at Louisiana Tech? Uh, Terry had to tell you that. You know, they, he lived right there in Shreveport, yeah. and in Ruston, it was only about 30 miles away. So probably a mama's boy and homesick and wanted to stay close. He's, he's, a, he's definitely a family, family man, you know, as far as his family. Uh, what do we – see about Bill Belichick or what do we not see about Bill Belichick and what he does? Cause it, it, he, Dan, he's the best. Um, but what, what is it though, Jimmy? Cause you, you're one of my favorite, one of the smartest, you know, football people I've ever been around, but Belichick just does. He but, seems to be on a different level. Well, uh, we've been friends for over 30 years back when he was at Cleveland, we made a few trades and I was at the Kentucky Derby with him. Uh, 30 years ago. And, and he comes down quite often and, you know, we visit on occasion. Um, to, to give you an example, you know, one of the times he came down here to the Keys and he, he's always got a little bit of an agenda, you know, and, and you know, I want to go on the boat and drink beer. You know, <laughs> we got, and we got on the boat and he started talking about the draft. And, you know, he's saying, you know, Jimmy said, you know, this and that, we've got some extra picks here and there. And, you know, he started rattling off the players that I had drafted when I was at Dallas. He had already done his homework. <laughs> and you know, some of the guys I had forgotten about. He said, you drafted those players, but your team was so good that, you know, you, you know, weren't able to keep them. They made another team. You had to cut them, and they went to another team. I said, Bill, I said, draft picks are like currency. They're like money. And I said, you know how every single draft, you know, you're going to be in that round and some, you know, there's going to be five teams call you and say, Hey, we'll treat you, trade you next year's two for your three. I said, so bank some of those picks, you know, that was one year that we fished. Yeah. And then a year later he comes down and he's talking about, he's, I got three players that are wanting new contracts. 
So, and he started talking about some of the contracts that we had done. So he's always working to get better. You know, you know I've sat with uh, him and Linda and, and Rhonda and I at a restaurant, you know, here in the off season, he's on the phone with, with agents talking about, you know, hey, a free agent, you know, hey, we'll negotiate, we'll do this and that. And we, you know, he's always working. And, and, and he's the best. Um, uh, you know, people want to compare great coaches of all time. And obviously, you look at the Tom Landry's and the Chuck Knowles and the Don Shula's and everything else. But that was a different era. I mean, back then, you built your team. And that team stayed together for 10 years. You, you didn't have free agency. You didn't lose anybody. Today's football, I mean, you've got about 50 players or so, and you're liable to have to, you know, middle of the season, you're liable to have to take somebody off the street and have him play that week. So I think it, it – I think coaching is more important today than it's ever been. You know, used to, you'd draft a rookie, he'd be on the bench for about three years before he ever played. Yeah. Nowadays, you draft a, a, a rookie, he's going to be playing it sometime during the year. So, you, you know, coaches have to be great teachers. You know, they have to be better teachers than they've ever been. Now, they've got about 25 coaches now, and they used to have about seven or eight. You know, so, they got a lot of teachers on their staff. How about a show, Beers With? Beers on the boat with, so you right. you and you have Ditka, you know, you could have Troy on there, maybe Jerry oh. one day, Belichick. I I, I can help I mean, you produce I, this beers on the boat with. If, if I start listing all the the general managers, the owners, the uh, the coaches, the pro coaches, the college coaches that have come down here, yeah. I've already had beers with most all of them. I mean, I, you know, everybody, Bob McNair, Cal McNair, Tom Benson, you know, you know John Shaw, uh, Dean Spanos has been down here two or three times, Jeffrey Lurie, you know, I mean, you know, and, and you know, the same thing with the head coaches. You know, I, I, uh, so I've had beers with most of them anyway. We yeah, but now we film, film it. it. Now we film it. And you get Why paid. We film it? Hey, if, if we film it, it's, be about like what uh, David Hill, one of the great TV guys of all time, when he there at Fox. We have a production meeting on Sunday morning for about 15 minutes before we go do the show. And we would laugh and cut up and tell stories one thing. And he said, man, this is great. This is great TV. He brought a camera in the next week. <laughs> we <say> a word. <laughs> so you put a you put a camera on that boat. I don't think Belichick's gonna be telling any Lawrence Taylor stories. <laughs> uh, it just means you have to drink more beer. <laughs> I, it, Everybody gets quiet when the red light goes on. <laughs> it's uh, great to talk to you, Jimmy. Thank you. Happy holidays, and uh, we appreciate you joining us. All right, Dan. Talk Thank to you, buddy. Jimmy okay. Johnson, Hall of Famer, Fox NFL Sunday analyst, won a couple of Super Bowls and a national championship at the U. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, it's Ben, host of the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick, David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is the Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of the Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and 
and more. Listen to the fifth hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Albert, thanks for joining us. Why was Urban fired last night? I think it just reached the point of no return, Dan. I mean, like the bottom line is, um, you know, after everything that had happened over the course of the last, you know, two months going back to October, um, you know, I think the question Shad Khan had to ask himself was, are people in this building still responding to Urban Meyer? Um, and, you know, sometimes perception can become reality. And, um, you know, I, I think when the you know report from NFL.com, uh, you know, Tom Pellicero did a great job with that last week. Um, you know, when that surfaces and, you know, then you have, um, you know, the former kicker, Josh Lambeau, coming out and saying what he said, said to Rick Stroud um, yesterday, you know, the green light's on for everybody who has an issue, everybody who has an ax to grind to come out and say something about it. And at that point, you know, the question becomes, is this the right environment for our young players to be in over the next month? And clearly, you know, the answer to that question for Shad Khan was no, the situation was untenable going forward. And that's why he had to make this move. What do you think is going to happen with that contract? It's a great question because I don't know, like, I don't know that you can fire him for cause for the Lambo thing because I mean, like logistically, and I'm not a lawyer, but like logistically, I look at it and it happened in August. And if it happened in August and Shad Khan knew about it and decided to go forward with him yeah. and let him coach out three quarters of an NFL season, um, then in his mind, did it really like rise to the level of a fire for cause sort of offense. Uh, logic would tell you no. Um, so, I mean, my guess is behind the scenes, some sort of settlement has worked out and that maybe we never hear about that. But, um, you know, I don't know that they can really fire him for cause based on what we've seen to this point um, and, and based on what we know to this point. As unhealthy as that building was, I mean, the one thing that I think would maybe potentially rise to that level was something that 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 happened in August, and that according to all accounts, the owner knew about right after it happened. Who's more likely to get another job first, Urban or John Gruden? I don't think either of them are working the NFL again. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll just be honest. About well, that. Urban like, I, Urban can't, but college. Yeah. And I just I, like, so I talked to urban about this in the summer, Dan, and I didn't sense a great desire to go back to college. And I, and I think the main reason why is because I think recruiting had worn him out. Um, I think the 24 seven nature of it, you know, had sort of become an issue for him as he had gotten older. And I think any coach that's moved from college to the NFL would tell you, you know, one of the biggest benefits is getting away from basically having to live your life 24 seven through a phone at the whims of 16 and 17 year olds, because recruiting controls who wins and loses at that level, you know? And so um, I, I don't know that he would want to dive into the world of recruiting, not to mention what it's become since he left with NIL, with the transfer portal and everything else. And so um, you know, maybe like that's just, you know, his obsession with competition pushes him back into it. But I think if you asked him right now, he'd probably tell you that he's probably coached his last game. Yeah, I just don't see it. You know, these guys are so <laughs> egomaniacal and yeah. I mean he's only fifty seven. He might appear to be an unhealthy fifty seven, but yeah. he's still only fifty seven and I don't know. These guys all think they can fix something. I mean, the question, the other question though, Dan is right. Like who's going to hire him at this point? Like, I, like, and look, like we've seen cases where guys have gotten back up on their, like Q freeze got back on his feet, right? Bobby yeah. Petrino got back on his feet. So we've seen examples of it, but does urban want to take a step back? Because I don't know 
Like, would USC hire him right now? No. You know what I mean? Would Texas hire him right now? So him going back to college coaching, what, like, what level would that require him going in on? You know, and yeah. does he want to do that? Like, if he doesn't have the stage of an Ohio State or a Florida, does he want to go back and coach it? And I don't know. I'll throw a name out there, a, a like an Iowa State. You know what I mean? Or an Oregon State. Like, does he want to do that? I, I don't know. It's hard for me to see because you know, if recruiting was an issue for him when he was at Ohio State. Boy, let me tell you, it's it's not going to be easier if you're going to one of those like tier two power five jobs, much less some sort of mid-major. And I could see a scenario where Ryan Day eventually goes to the NFL. Yeah. Luke Fickle takes over at Ohio State. And, yeah. You know, because I've already had uh, a couple of people say, could you see Urban if Ryan Day left going back to Ohio State? And I go, I don't see that. I, I would think that they would look at Luke Fickle before they would Urban or Matt Meyer. Campbell. I mean, like I like there are people who would line up. There are young people yeah. who I, I think would line up for that job. Luke Fickle certainly has the respect of a lot of people um, in that place. And, you know, I think he would be a candidate. And Matt Campbell, I, I can tell you for a fact, Dan, I don't know if this is even out there, but in 2019, 2018, 2019, before they turned to Ryan Day, they took a very, very hard look at bringing Matt Campbell over from Iowa State before deciding to go with Ryan Day. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of guys in Fickle and Campbell who are from Ohio where that would qualify as their dream job that I think that the, that Ohio State would probably go to before they go back to, for, to Urban. Now, that said, he was an administrator at Ohio State, right? And, you know, he's obviously still close with Ryan Day. So does the possibility exist that maybe he goes back in some sort of administrative role to Ohio State and helps Ryan Day out? I think that's possible. How attractive is the Jacksonville job? Uh, you know, it, it, I think it was way more attractive a year ago because a year ago you had, you knew you were getting Trevor Lawrence. So in either case, 2021, 2022, you're getting Trevor Lawrence. Last year, you had a blank slate. You had all the cap space. You had all the draft picks and you don't have all of that this time around. Now, like the, the, the draft picks are on the roster, but you don't get to make those picks yourself. Some of the cap money is spent. So you don't get to spend that yourself. Um, you know, so and there are those drawbacks. I don't think the location is the most 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 attractive to, to a lot of coaches going and, and living in Jacksonville, Florida and have to attract players to Jacksonville, Florida. That's not the most attractive. That's not the, the best situation in the league. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the owner hasn't shown that he can win. I mean, let's call it what it is. And I think we all like Shad Khan. Is he more successful than Jimmy Haslam right now? No. As an owner? No. <laughs> right. Like, like where would he rank? Like based on what he's done in 10 years, where would he rank? Like near the bottom, right? So like I think you have to add all those things together. That said, there's still a chance to work with Trevor Lawrence, right? Like there's still a young roster with pom promising young pieces on it. Travis Etienne, we'll see what he becomes. You got Josh Allen on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you got some veteran pieces like Miles Jack. So like there's something to work with there. And I think because of the quarterback's attractive, but I don't think it's quite as attractive as it was a year ago. I was wondering, Byron Leftwich. Yeah. Bucks offensive coordinator. I mean, imagine mm -hmm. if Tom Brady today had a you know press conference and just said, yeah. you know, hey, I don't know what Jackson's gonna do, Jacksonville's gonna do, but you know, I I would hate to lose Byron Leftwich, but he's gonna be a head coach one. Like, I don't know, maybe if you jumpstart that talk, 
Uh, if Eric Bieniemy would get a chance here, Brian Dable, who's done a great job with yeah. John, like you got to get somebody who's going to develop Trevor Lawrence. And that's, I mean, that's the main thing, right? Like, I think you're sort of in the same situation as the Rams were in 2016. And that was a dysfunctional mess on the level of this. Like the Rams were like after their first year in Los Angeles coaching, didn't get along with the front office. Jeff Fisher gets fired with a month left in the season. Jared Goff looked God awful. And you remember this Dan in year one. Right. And so everything for them was like, how do we get things right in general? But like, how do we create the right environment for our young quarterback that we drafted first overall? And what do they do? Well, a lot of people said, you need an experienced guy to come in and clean this up. They went in the opposite direction. They went completely in the other direction and maybe picked a guy that, you know, it was a year or two early, you know, at least on paper. And it winds up being like as big a home run of a hire as we've seen in the last 10 years in Sean McVay. So, like, I think the idea of bringing in a young guy who can energize your building and who can revitalize your young quarterback is good. Byron Left, which is a good name. You mentioned Brian Dayball. That's another good name. I'd throw Kellen Moore, the Cowboys offensive coordinator who's helped bring Dak Prescott along. He's a good name. I also wouldn't rule out, and this one's going to be, I, I know that this is sort of a divisive one, Josh McDaniels. I mean, like you look at what he's done with Mac Jones in Trevor Lawrence's draft class, right? And it's not just Mac Jones. If you look at his history, developed Matt Castle into a quarterback who won a division title with another team, developed Jimmy Garoppolo into a quarterback who went to a Super Bowl with another team, developed Jacoby Brissett into a guy who's probably going to spend 10 years in the NFL. He's got great track record with quarterbacks. He's been a head coach before. And I will say this too. Shad Khan, Tony Khan, that ownership group, they listened to Bill Belichick. One of the reasons Doug Marone wound up going from interim coach to full-time head coach in 2017 is because Bill Belichick told the Khans, this guy can do it. So they've got history of going to Belichick. Mm. Belichick sort of owes Josh McDaniels one after what happened a couple of years ago with the Giants job and the Panthers job. So it wouldn't surprise me if Bill Belichick went to bat for Josh McDaniels with Jacksonville. And it's not the craziest idea because Josh McDaniels history of developing quarterbacks is I think at an exemplary level. What about Doug Peterson who yeah. won a Super Bowl and just disappeared? Right. And there are some interesting, you know, like retread names that I think you're going to hear. And, you know, a lot of them are on the defensive side of the ball, quite, quite honestly, like Raheem Morris, Todd Bowles, um, Dan Quinn. Like those are all good names that I think you're going to hear kind of go through the cycle um, this year. Like I think Doug Peterson's another one that's a good name. Mm. And, you know, obviously like Carson Wentz benefited early in his career. Now, you know, once sideways later on, but you look early in his career, Doug Peterson was able to build a staff and bringing in like Frank Reich as his offensive coordinator and John Filippo as his quarterback's coach, a coach, a staff that was able to support the young quarterback. And they got him playing at an MVP level by year two. And I know that team, you know, didn't go to the Super Bowl with Carson Wentz, but they went to the Super Bowl with, Car with, with, with the team that Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate for. So I think Doug Peterson is a name that you kick around and, 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 and makes a lot of sense. And the beauty of it, Dan, here's the thing. They, they've got a month now, you know, before, yeah. you know, the, the, before we get to black Monday and they're even allowed to hire somebody. And so I, I think you look at it, if you're them, this gives you the chance to cast a wide net. You don't need to focus on first, first chance guy, retread guy, defensive guy, offensive guy. They've now got the time to cast that wide net and look at whoever they want to look at. What's the current state of uh, COVID in the NFL and are any games in jeopardy? And well, it's, it's interesting because I don't think so. Like the NFL will tell you that they're not considering postponing games. Um, 
I think it's going to be much hard. It'll be much harder to move games this year than it was last year, mainly because you got fans in the stands. Like is, last year, yeah. Is there a forfeit policy? The forfeit, yes, but the forfeit policy is only goes into effect if the spread within a building can be traced to an unvaccinated player. In other words, like oh. if I'm unvaccinated and I bring it into the office, like then the team can be held responsible for that. Okay. If the players who have passed it around are vaccinated, then the league has said they'll do what they can to accommodate everybody. I mean, I think they're going to do what they can to, to get these games played. Part of the issue, though, Dan, you know, Dr. Alan Sills, the, the chief medical officer for the league, went in front of the owners yesterday and basically said to them, this is Omicron. That's why this is happening with the Rams. That's why it's happening with the Browns. And the problem we have right now, this is more contagious than the previous strains, but it's also got milder effects. So basically, you're seeing something that's probably going to spread a little easier but it's going to have less of an effect on the people involved. And that's why they've gone to the union and they're talking to the union about finding a way to change the protocols and make maybe significant changes to the protocols. So a couple ideas that have been discussed. One is incentivizing the booster. And if you get this to, to say to players, if you get the booster, then you don't have to test anymore. I don't think that one's going to happen. A second idea that I, I think makes maybe a little more sense is if you test going back to daily testing and then if a guy tests positive and he's asymptomatic and he's vaccinated, he can stay in the building. He just has to mask and distance and he can play because there's been no evidence of on-field transmission of the virus one way or another with how quickly this spread between the Brown situation, the Ram situation, and really all seven of the teams that are in intensive protocols right now. I think the league is concerned that this is the tip of the iceberg and they are going to be put in certain circumstances where you could have a situation like you had last year in Denver with the quarterbacks or new Orleans with the running backs. Great stuff. Albert, thanks as always for joining us. You got it, Dan.